Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, August 10th, and this is Paul Cerro from Cedar Grove Capital. And we're gonna be going over the Q2 fund performance of 2022. So uh, going over our post, um, we have returned negative 31.3% gross return compared to negative 25.7% for the S&P, uh, consumer discretionary ETF, and negative 50.4% for the cannabis ETF, and negative 23.9% for the Russell 2000. This is just for Q2, which brings our year-to-date performance to negative 44.1%, the S&P discretionary ETF to negative 32.8%, the cannabis ETF, which we're labeling as MSOS, at negative 59.6%, and the Russell 2000 at negative 23.9%. So the first half of this year was definitely one for the books. The only sector for the S&P 500 that was in the green was energy, having been blessed with the Ukrainian war and the cartels hesitancy to pump out additional supply to meet the energy demands of the world. The worst sector happens to be one that CGC operates in, consumer discretionary. The market was quick to dump anything in that sector with complete disregard for how well the companies were doing in some instances, but not all. Multiple compression was the name of the game in the first half with earnings revisions coming down in certain areas of the sector in the second quarter. Much of the collapse in retail names has come from margin compression, brought on by consumers changing spending from goods to services, but not entirely. Companies that deal in hard goods, such as electronics, furniture, and apparel, all did not anticipate the eventual shift once the world started reopening. The misinterpretation of consumer demands led to inventory buildups, which directly translated to missed earnings. The change came about suddenly, with, which left a number of retailers with excess inventory in Q1, including mass merchants like Walmart and Target, Big Box Electronics, Seller, Best Buy, Furniture Chain, Kirkland's, apparel retailers, The Gap, Urban Outfitters, and discount merchants, Big Lots, and Burlington. What's worse is that these inventory buildups now need to be moved quickly to make room for the new inventory coming in, resulting in expected discounts, which only prolongs earning degradation. Time will tell uh, just how well retailers can weather the storm and if consumer trends from hard goods to services continue to slow down entirely. Making matters worse, the University of Michigan's gauge of consumer sentiment reached a final reading of 50 in June. That was the lowest reading on record going back to 1952 and down from both an initial reading earlier in the month and May's 58.4 reading. The Michigan survey showed about 79% of consumers surveyed expressed pessimism about future business conditions, the highest level since 2009, and 47% blamed inflation for eroding their living standards. A souring mood for consumers who face the highest rate of inflation in four decades is a concerning sign because household spending accounts for about 70% of U.S. economic output. Retail sales fell in May, the first decline this year, and job and wage growth also slowed in May. Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal have raised the probability of a recession. With so much pessimism in the market, the switch from growth to value is quite noticeable. Performance spreads over the last three years have contracted dramatically to just 1,200 basis points as of June 30th between the spreads of the um, growth ETF from iShares and also the value ETF from iShares. An emphasis on earnings and cash flow seems to be taking shape, though there is still plenty of money out there chasing tech-related dreams. We'll see how the second half of 2022 turns out when Q2 gains were seen and the Fed continues to raise rates to combat inflation. Taking a look at our current portfolio as of June 30th, 2022, we had 10 long positions and zero short positions, representing a net long position of 100%. Uh, 
Starting from the top, we had Altria, which made up of 48.6% of our weighting, Petco at 11.6, RCI Hospitality at 10.1, Exponential Fitness at 9.3, Kohl's at 8.8%, Urban Grow at uh, 5.9%, Twitter at 2.3%, and then we had some options um, contracts at like such as Bark at 1.1%, Agrify 1.1%, and 1847 Decker Inc. at 1.2%. So if we look over the select investment commentary, the second quarter was all about trading and trying to monetize on spikes in volatility and worsen economic conditions. I won't go into all the trades, but rather core positions instead. Mind you, given the onslaught that occurred in Q2, many positions uh, that we had sold had overlapping reasons and they may not have been company specific. So let's start off with the sales. First off was Agrify. Agrify was a hard position to sell, mainly because I did not want to admit I was wrong given the 200% run-up I had last year on it. However, anything cannabis-related has been destroyed this year, and that includes the ancillary players like Agrify. I decided to sell out, take the loss, and move on. While Topline is still growing at triple digits, their ability to reach profitability is questionable, and management's poor response to the short report from December should have been my deciding warning sign. Next one is Bark, or BarkBox. This was another tough sell. While I called the pet trade very well going long Petco and Short Chewy, I got it wrong with BarkBox. I was initially impressed with their growth rates, which were close to the original SPAC presentation, but the company was failing to reach positive adjusted EBITDA, and the future looked bleak in ever achieving it. That being said, I consolidated my pet positions to just Petco, and um, have since basically written off SPACs as far as going to a long position. Next up is Restoration Hardware. The original thesis of wealthy spending did not hold up as planned. Consumer spending not only rapidly deteriorated, but most spending left turned to services than physical goods that did not feed into service-oriented experiences. After two downward revisions and a very favorable share buyback, I decided to sell. While I do like the company, it is highly cyclical and the wealthy are not repeating the way they have spent in prior downturns. When the dust settles, I will revisit the name, but for now, it will remain on my watch list. Next is Green Thumb Industries. As mentioned previously, cannabis has been wrecked this year for no other reason than delays and empty promises from the government. While I am a big fan of Green Thumb, I was not willing to ride that train down any further. Once more meaningful moves come down from politicians, I'll hop back in, but for now, I'll watch on the sidelines. Coinbase. While we were initially right on a long call for coin, we didn't take the near 50% gains when it peaked in November. My assumption that volatile prices in crypto would be good for trading fees was wrong. Too much holding and rushes to liquidate holdings left many one-time fees and not the increase in trading I was expecting. This reduced the number of fees Coinbase generated with a 0.98 correlation between the stock price movements of coin and BTC. An extreme drop occurred. We exited at a loss, but not nearly near the 50% drop we would have experienced had we held on. Scott's Miracle Grow. Scott's Miracle Grow was a cannabis ancillary play through their hydroponics arm, Hawthorne. Last year, we believed that SMG's core consumer business was worth the price that it was trading at, which was around $146 a share, and you'd be getting Hawthorne for free. While once again, we, we did predict this accurately, the November peak related, a, related lack of cannabis regulation and slowdown in consumer spending for lawn care caused an earnings decline. We decided to sell and sit it out until a rebound. Domino's Pizza. We were originally long dominoes and published our research here. DPZ is having issues not just on the inflationary front of input costs, but mainly from labor and its ability to hire for the delivery side of its business, a very key component. 
This labor issue is causing some dents in same-source sales, as franchisees, which translated into soft uh, first half. We still like Domino's, but opted to sell it to take a position in RCI Holdings, as we felt the upside was more attractive and gave a better IRR for our liking. Next is Fiverr International. Fiverr is another high-profile tech name that came crashing down. Same story as Coin, as far as being right but not taking gains. Looking back, the multiple was high, but we believed that the company would benefit from more gig work, not only from consumers trying to make more money on the side as a hustle, but also from companies looking to hire without offering full-time packages. This proved right to some extent, but could not hold up against the onslaught of the tech sell-off. We sold out to reserve capital, but we revisit the name should the valuation become more attractive. O'Reilly Automotive. O'Reilly was a name that we felt could hold up given the long-term tailwind of used cars and how long consumers are holding on to them, which represents direct upkeep and more maintenance costs. However, we felt the valuation was getting extended and decided to forego holding on to the name. Evoqua Hold Technologies. Ticker symbol Aqua was a company that we were excited about because of its expertise in water purification on the West Coast. However, the name did not hold up in the volatility of the first half despite aligning more with the utility. We sold the stock to focus more on our core competencies in the CNR space. Innovative Industrial Properties We took a position in IIPR for the purposes of owning the real estate under the cannabis companies, as we believe that the area of the industry would be better insulated from the dramatic price moves. We started this position at the end of Q1, and the next day, a short report came out by Blue Orca calling for this biggest tenant to become distressed. The stock sold off and we sold out with it. The stock has dropped an additional 50% since we sold it. Elf Beauty. There's nothing special here. We figured if vanity was getting destroyed, then we were in a worse economic position than we thought. The quick rebound in the name clearly proved us wrong, but by then, the stock became too expensive to get back in. William Sonoma. William Sonoma is one that we felt was misunderstood by the market. The name was hammered by pessimistic market expectations, but the underlying fundamentals and trends were very supportive. The stock rebounded nearly 30% from the bottom when we bought it on the second go-around after reporting better-than-expected results. We decided to once again cut our exposure to highly cyclical spending names like Williams-Sonoma. Warby Parker. I personally wear Warby Parker glasses, but the stock was too rich. DTC model was not proving itself and retail foot traffic was slowing down considerably. National Vision slumping sales sent Warby down with it and investors seemed to be losing faith. Our thesis proved right, which led us to recognize a 19% ROI on the position and a near 4% gain for the overall fund in just this name alone. But now if we transition to our buys, first one is Altria. In an effort to capture income during all this volatility, we took a position in Altria as a dividend play. Staples held up with this held up well this year, and some have even had significant gains year to date. Simple thesis, people just aren't going to quit smoking. While growth is minimal and our world governments fight back against smoking, handsome dividends still get paid out. RCI Hospitality. While we haven't published our research yet on Rick, we are very bullish on the name. We believe that the market is undervaluing the company on many fronts. Discounting not only the equity value of its real estate, but not assigning a multiple on the bombshells business that would be in line with other restaurant companies. Given that the main business of Rick is gentlemen's clubs, the market is unfairly punishing the company. With that being said, we felt that our capital would be better applied here with Rick and achieve a more desirable IRR and overall return. If you are interested in getting our research for this name when it does come out, we've included a subscribe now button right below that you can click on it and it'll take you right there to never miss out on an email. Next up is Kohl's. Kohl's is another name that we decided to take an arbitrage position in. 
A buyout offer came from FRG at $60 a share, and the following weeks the rumors of financings were coming through, and it seemed that Kohl's was going to be taken private. While we were confident that the company would be taken private at or around the offer price, KSS board eventually turned it down after June 30th, and the deal fell apart. This position will be updated in the following corner, but it's marked as a buy during Q2. Twitter. Twitter repurchased for the sole purpose of arbitrage on the deal from Elon to buy the company. While much doubt was cast in the last two months, we believe that the merger agreement was airtight to Twitter being in the right. We outlined his thesis uh, in the link provided, and shortly after, Twitter sued Elon Musk to make good on his deal. We too believe that Elon will be forced to make good on the original agreement at the original agreed upon price. Urban Grow. With cannabis going into free fall this year, we revisited a name that we have written about last year, which we've provided a link for you to look at, and held but sold out in Q1. This company is an ancillary player in the cannabis and controlled environment agriculture space. With its stock price down so much and the fundamentals largely staying the same, we took a position in the company again. We believe that this stock should be trading close to its historical mean since it's a nano cap of around $10 a share. In our opinion, if it is one of the safer ancillary players in the CEA space, a space that consists of agri-fi, hydro-farm, and grow generation, and that's why we are still long uh, urban grow. 1847 Go Decker. Uh, I actually came across this opportunity from David over at Kingdom Capital Advisors. If you don't know who he is, I provided a link in the article that you can go check him out. He outlined his updated thesis uh, recently after June 30th, but I included it in this post just for you to review it. Um, but me and him talked about it back in April, and that's what actually got me into the stock via warrants on the stock. Key points for the trade are outlined below, pulled directly from his research. So from a multiple and growth perspective, it's quite cheap, and that's mainly driven by the fear in the market for anything consumer-related. So quoting his research, with a $1.20 share price, about $130 million market cap, and $30 million of net debt, the business is valued at less than 10 times EV to trailing 12 months EPS, and five times EV to trailing 12 months EBITDA. If the company hits their fiscal year 2022 growth and margin guidance, they will earn $650 million in revenue and $60 million in EBITDA, which would be a 2.7 times EV to EBITDA at today's share price. So appliances have historically held up better than other furnishings, retailers, and similar downturns, which he actually brings up in his research, saying, spending on appliances pulled back 10% in 2009, less than half as much as broader durable goods spending, which is a key plus if we're worried about a recession. Margin expansion is something to consider heavily after the company received a $140 million loan from Bank of America. Quoting him again, I expect future margin pressure from reduced pricing power to be offset by vendor rebates, increased ad spending to be offset by better fill rates and better scale economics, and possible margin improvement from building out a better distribution network. Even with current margins, I own a business trading under three times EV to EBITDA on this year's forecast on which Bank of America underwrote a $140 million loan. So this is our first time buying warrants for a company, but we've discussed the math and his research seems to be a sound strategy. Warrants at the levels we purchased them at what at would yield the better of the two, stock versus warrants, in terms of an ROI perspective. So moving on to our closing remarks, trading has never been my strong suit, and it clearly shows. I deviated from what I excel at, which is deep analysis both on the long and short side. With that being said, going forward, CGC will be going back to our roots of what made us great in the first place and avoid trades. Additionally, while diversification helps portfolios on the downside, it's not as lucrative on the upswings. 
Given the precipitous drop in the market and consumer discretionary specifically, we will focus on a more concentrated portfolio rather than the traditional 12 to 15 positions we've held in the past. We're eager to realign accordingly and find the next opportunities coming out of whatever market this will go down in the history book has. I also apologize for the lack of posts as of late, but the fund has been elbows deep in private investment opportunities. While this has taken up a lot of our time, we'll be sure to continue adding value to the newsletter when we can. So until next time, guys, this is Paul Cerro from Cedar Grove Capital. Uh, just making it completely transparent for our disclaimer, all information provided herein by Cedar Grove Capital Management our uh, Cedar Grove Capital is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice or an offer for solicitation to buy or sell an interest in a private fund or any other security. So thanks a lot, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.